What's up? What's up? What's up? We're back. Here we are, folks. Thursday night, jig night. What's going on, everybody? I am Mike Murphy, Barracuda. This is Jig Squad Live and the Tackle Making Podcast available on platforms now. Um, I will have uh, the show transfer over to all podcast platforms in the morning, but this is all about live chat and everyone, everyone out there tonight. So I missed you guys. Excited to see everyone. Lots of cool things coming up. Everyone's running through the house. Brian Chapman, Bass, Brian's Custom Tackle, Matt, South Jersey Fisherman, Michael Bradley, Tom, Ken. What's going on, Wisconsin, Ken? Guys, I'm really excited tonight. So Battle Bates is in the house, Flint Pierce. And I don't know if you've had a chance to check out the website, but as we're talking and you're in chat tonight, go open a webpage, um, battlebaits.com. Here, I'll throw up the thing. Um, you have to, that's the Instagram here. You, I want you guys to take a look at some of the um, jigs and things that we're talking about today. And Flint's going to show them on the screen. He's got some really creative and cool stuff. And I'm really excited to have him on the show tonight. So welcome back to another live event. Or if you're listening on replay or in podcast form, welcome in your car or wherever you at, are at. We're going to get Flint in. Let's bring him in now. Everything works. Flint, can I hear Hear you? You're there. I'm here. I'm, I'm awesome, buddy. Welcome to Jig Squad. How are you, buddy? Hey, you know, I'm I'm doing great. Trying to stay cold in this uh, Midwest <laughs> heat wave that we're. I think I think it's nationwide at the moment. But uh, it is. It's been a hot summer. So like, and you guys down in Missouri, it's even hotter. But I know up by us outside of Chicago, it's been a hot summer so far. So, but yeah, here we are, man. So. Listen, when we as we get started here, first of all, I'm super excited to have you on tonight. I'm I'm crazy impressed with so many of the things that you craft and design, and um and that's what we do: flow, color, and design. It's Jig Squad. So, but as we get into this tonight, we're going to talk some juice. But tell us a little bit about you and Battle Baits and how Battle Baits came to be, and just your history in the jig making game. Well. It, it, it's kind of a cool story, long story, and, and I'll do my best to not we be got time. super, we got super time. long-winded but first off i appreciate the opportunity to come here and talk um absolutely and and be recognized i mean you have a you have a phenomenal page and i mean it's it's humbling to be uh recognized in, in this setting i i just I, I love talking about it i i love the i love the grind i love the story i love every every bit about it and the conversations that i've had with you leading up to this um it's just it was fun (laughs) it's it's built my anticipation for it and i mean there's a lot of things that i want to share and sure i I know that we're probably going to have a mixed crowd i i did my homework i watched tons of your videos leading up to this trying to figure out what i was getting myself into and (laughs) and i know that there's a bunch of builders that are watching there's a bunch of fishermen that are watching and you know, hopefully I'm, I'm not a real tight lipped guy. If I can help someone new and young in the industry, um, I, I, I'd be honored to do that right prior to jumping on here. I had a buddy from California that called and that had questions about painting and, um, yeah. So my backstory, so I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest and I, I grew up, 
in a steel header, a steel in, header. Yeah, in California, <laughs> right on the Oregon border, town of 400 people, Cassie, okay. California, a little mountain town, and right on the Smith River, which is this a pristine, wild and scenic river in Northern California, undammed, uh, incredible Beautiful. salmon, steelhead, cutthroat fishery, and, and that became my big passion. It was hiking, snorkeling, fly fishing, and and ultimately we were right on the coast as well. So bass fishing in my, I, I guess, within a two hour drive in any direction was untouchable uh, for me. So I grew right. up ocean fishing. I grew up salmon steelhead fishing, fish lingcod, snapper, um, near shore yeah. rock fish. Um, but my passion was, was fly fishing and, and the ability to create stuff and go out and, and hike a river or a creek and try and catch something mm -hmm. with it. So I got, I was fortunate. I come from a family of fishermen that got me involved in it really young. And okay. I mean, I was probably 12 years old when I got my first little fly tying kit with a, with a vice and a, and a bunch of dubbing and, I had oh, a chance gosh. to make a couple nymphs and, and go out to the river and try and catch some rainbows. And so ultimately so that that's where my, my, my upbringing kind of brought me and, and ultimately I became a commercial fisherman later on in life and started crab fishing, had an opportunity cool. to, to run some boats in Alaska on a, down around in the in the Kenai area, down around Homer, and worked for a cattle broker. Nice. So a little bit of everything, yes. I, so I got an opportunity to go up there and halibut fish, um, ling cod fish, and then salmon steelhead and fly fish for dollies and big giant rainbows in the Kenai. We don't see any dollies around the Midwest here, and, brother. Man, it, it was just it <laughs> unless was it's Dolly Parton. That's about it. <laughs> Well, there's there's a heavy presence of that around Branson, Missouri. At the That's moment. correct. That's right. <laughs> um, so ultimately, I had moved from Alaska to Las Vegas, and I'd never been to Las Vegas. Got a job working in Las Vegas, and I moved there, and I just had all my fly gear with me, really. And yeah, I went out to Mead. I started walking the cliffs of Mead, trying to navigate and figure out how I was going to fly fish for bass. And I, I learned relatively quick that it, that it wasn't something that I was going to be uber successful at. In how doing interesting. Um, and I have, I had an opportunity. I have a bunch of family in Branson, Missouri, some phenomenal cousins that I'm really close with. And they live right here on Table Rock. And when I was in Las Vegas, I took a trip out here to okay. come see them. And they got me into a club tournament. And this was 2008 uh, at the time. Oh, that was so that was it. That was the bug. I, I <laughs> well, I'm just being a competitive guy. And that, I mean, I think that that's such a draw for sure fishermen of all ages. But um, I mean, it's a sport you can do forever. And mm -hmm. yep. I came out here and, and like I said, being involved in sports and taking off in a small clubby tournament and getting the opportunity to go out and compete against other people, it just ignited okay. a, a fire in me. So I went back, started fishing mead, 
as best I could. It went to Bass Pro Shops, went to these places, bought a bunch of tackle and, and a couple rods. And I would go out on mead and I would lug these tackle boxes around. And by the end of the day, all of my baits were falling apart. And so ultimately that was the way that I had got into making them was I, I would come back home and I would have these tackle sure. boxes. I would have spinner baits and jigs, all this stuff that I had purchased and everything mm -hmm. had melted. The, the rubber collar melted or just from lugging it around and sitting on a rock while I was fishing. So <laughs> it's I had hot my, out there. <laughs> I had all my fly tying stuff from Alaska and, and I started building baits back together. And as I lived in Vegas, I got involved in some clubs there just to learn how to better fish Lake Mead, which is an extremely challenging uh, um, body of water. But, and that's ultimately how I got into building was I'd be on the boat as a co-angler with these guys and yeah, they'd, they'd look at the baits and like, what, what a crazy, what a crazy pathway. So one, I, I, Flynn, I will tell you this people's stories and who they are, where they come from. It's like a big deal to me. You know, it helps, helps me understand what their company's about, what their pathway in fishing was. And for some people, they don't care about that stuff. Right. And right. that's okay. But I like that stuff. And the crazy part about this is, you know, we're usually talking to guys that are, you know, bass heads from the, I'm a Midwest bass head. Right. And right. then you, we, we once in a while we'll get a mix of the East Coast guys, the bass heads up there, and we don't get as much of the Southern guys, which I want to try and venture into more of with Jig Squad. But just your story of being a North Northwestern guy, and then and being being that scene, and then what do you do? You don't just come straight to bass. You go to like uh, several hundred feet deep uh, <laughs> Lake Mead. Well, maybe it's not anymore. It's about half that, right. if, if even that. Um, and just what a crazy different way to fish for bass. I mean, you want to talk about learning how to fish for suspended fish and fishing bluffs and rock walls. That's a whole nother story. You did, you did not get into this easily. <laughs> no, I, but, but what a phenomenal spot to learn too. I mean, that's, I think that's a humbling body of water for anybody that's sure. that's a lifelong angler, but to be introduced to it early on, and have to learn but at the same time I, I think that a background in in river drifting steelhead sure in, in extremely clear water uh or back bouncing row for salmon yeah i i think that there is or fly fishing and nymphing there there is a there is a feeling that it was easy to pick up for me and, and mm -hmm. you know watching line and yeah. using very light gear reading water reading water yeah it's it's very interesting because it you know the whole the old phrase of you know the grass is not always greener on the other side well it always feels like it's greener on the other side and yeah. and what i mean by that when it comes to us and being jig makers is that if you're a silicone skirted jig maker and that's mm -hmm. what you've classically been trained as your next your next Jones that you're looking for is learning how to move into hybrid or introducing fly materials or maybe a hair jig or a yep. marabou jig more classically. Right. And, and the thing is moving from one to the other, you have no idea. And so what's interesting is you, 
you came from the reverse end of my pathway of how I started making jigs. And it's just interesting how we, we get to these spots about what we think about different things like color and, and what it looks like and, um, and how we go about creating color in the designs we make, but very interesting. And then, so you're in Vegas, but then you didn't stay in Vegas though. Did you? I, I, I didn't. I stayed there for four years and then went back up around my hometown about an hour and a half away. My wife and I moved back there and mm-hmm. started a family and right Southern Oregon, real close to Shasta, uh, Lake and Northern California. Yeah. So very challenging fishery in itself and, and around that area as well. So mm-hmm. one of those things, I mean, just like you, you, you do anytime you travel and fish, um, I take aspects of Vegas and Mead <laughs> and Mojave and, and Havasu and Powell sure. and then bring some of those techniques up to that area. And ultimately, I mean, Northern California, Southern Oregon's a, it's an incredible place. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's plagued right now with some with some water management issues or water issues in general. I won't just classify it as management. That'll start an yeah, entire right. new debate right. in itself. <laughs> but uh, there's there's uh, those traditionally very famous Oroville, uh, Berryessa, Clear Lake, yeah, uh, Shasta. They're so, just they're in such a drought, and it's it's a so when you so when you go back up north, you have not started battle baits yet. No. Okay. No, not 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 at the time. I, so I what was, did, the, did battle baits start while you were still up north, or after you came to Branson? So I didn't I didn't really start. No, it it did. It started in Oregon. Um, so okay. I came back up, and I was fishing, and now fishing in Southern Oregon, I had the opportunity to get involved in some clubs there and, and work sure. with some folks that were avid bass fishermen and it right, got right, me involved. And that was ultimately, I mean, I was, I was never selling any baits. I, I just had, and it's funny you bring up hybrid jigs because that was all I was making. I mean, I was, everything was hybrid jigs. That's uh, it. It was, a, it was a mix. A lot of round rubber, a lot of marabou, a lot of, bucktail okay um, uh, some some freaky creature you know rabbit zonkers and and yeah i but at the same time it was what i was able to be successful with down at mead and and ultimately it what really sparked it for me uh, there was there was one guy that in southern oregon that kind of pulled me aside that I had the opportunity to fish with and he said hey this is a jig that i've been using for x amount of years and mm-hmm. the owner passed away i need i need you to build them so i went home and i and i built a couple and i took them to him and he said i want 300 of them and i said man i, I don't have 300 i don't have a do it mold i don't have i don't have means to produce this stuff you know i'm i'm going to these these sporting good <laughs> stores at the time and i'm shopping right in the fly tying section and buying pieces of, of round rubber that are that big for, you know, three bucks. Right. And so him really, 
he got the juices going for you. Well, and, and he said, hey, listen, I'll go out. I'm going to buy a mold. I'm going to buy all the hooks. You're not going to have any upfront costs. I'll buy the paint. I'll, I'll do whatever you need to do to get this rolling. So, And he wanted you, Flint, he wanted you because you could tie. That was yes. your value more yes. than anything else because he couldn't do the tying in and put Correct. them together like that. I got you. So that was uh, that was ultimately kind of what what got me going. And when I when I started was around the time that my first son was born. And so okay. there was like a, there was a, a year period that I called it Sawyer Custom Tackle, which was my first son's name. OK. And then and then we had the surprise of twins coming 18 months it's never later won when it's a surprise boys. is it <laughs> and and uh then it was a battle to do anything and it was like man that's i can't name it after one of my sons <laughs> so you had to go elsewhere you had to find a new name well I and I, you know the the real like origin of where battle baits came from i know that a buddy and i were down at clear lake and we were fishing and, and we were talking about building baits and, yeah. and he was trying to get, you know, Hey, I want to get you into this store and I want to do this and sure. I want to help promote you here. And I said, man, it's just a battle. It's a battle to do anything because I'm so busy. <laughs> I got three kids in diapers and right. it was like, we started calling it battle baits. There you and go. And so we we're actually out on the boat, out on clear Lake. And I got on the internet from there. I was like, man, it's the LLC is available. The website's available. We're changing it. So I there made it all out there on clearly. That's so great. Yeah. In sense then. So, I mean, I, I know there's gonna be so many things that we talk about here tonight, but um, so, 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 so tell me when you first started making jigs and you, um, so you're making, I, what I call hybrid jigs, right? It's a mix yep. of silicone and, or maybe it's even straight hair. Who, who knows? But what, tell me what was the switch? What, tell me the process of you moving into the silicone game? Because to be honest with you, the predominant amount of things I see you making is the silicone jigs, right? hundred percent. So yeah, and tell me how that happened. Like, what was that change for you? Well, I mean, I think ultimately as, as a business progresses, the, the first year, I think the only thing that I sold was round rubber and okay. hybrid, hybrid jigs that were round rubber and hair. And okay, and I still make hair jigs um, and I still fish hair jigs. I love hair jigs and have a ton of confidence in them. I mean, they're a phenomenal fish catcher all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, as as the business has progressed um it's it's boiled down to a, a couple different decisions and ultimately probably i i would say just as a single man company right. and as a as a single poorer painter tire um website runner everything i haven't been able to uh, expand it at all and it ultimately came down to production and and the hair was a lot slower for me to produce 
So okay. the hair was the first to go, and it makes a big giant mess if you're trying to knock out 400 baits in the hair. You, uh, I can imagine you'd get up and just breathe heavily and freaking. It, <laughs> it, it's uh, you know the 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 silicone the progression of silicone too within the past ten years has evolved, and I think that just on the manufacturing side, what they've been able to do with silicone, they've they've made it a lot softer, but they've also their printing capabilities as far as their glitter inlays or the printing on top of the silicone right has has improved quite a bit um i would agree and you know th the same for round rubber i mean round rubber livingrubber.com paul bachman he's an oregon guy he was only about 20 minutes away from me i'm a good friend of him the owner of livingrubber.com awesome mm -hmm. awesome company and guy and i I can't say enough nice things about him and what he's done to help me through the process, but you know, it's hard to get uh, on the business side. It's hard to convince people that have not fished rubber to fish rubber. And because it's, it's not transparent. I mean, it's a bland black, you know, right. avocado green, a brown, a purple, an orange, and then you hold it next to a a iridescent pearl with a red flash that has this glitter effect to it, and it's printed a certain way. And people look at it and go, "That's it. It looks more like a bait fish." And yes. so, you know, if you spend, at least for me, spending more production time tying rubber and then putting it next to silicone i i would i would on the selling side i'd sell nine silicone jigs every one rubber jig see that's and, it right there and and what's funny is flint what i'll say what i'll um let me add to that that <clears throat> that partly has become the madness of what the what jig squad is supposed to be about that it's it's not even as much and even though i've got guys that run businesses on yourself included right yeah it's it's more so about the love of the game a little bit right the the yep. design element and all those things and teaching people what those things are and and helping people understand well there's proportions to things proportions matter especially if you're a fly fisherman right or fly designer you know that proportions um, matter more in fly tying than it does in even silicone jig making. It just does. Yep. And um, and I think taking those elements and that language and starting to use this vernacular of how we talk about what we create is important. And what's funny is if once you get a, somebody who is a designer, they're on the pathway of designing, I personally think now they're starting to see all the excitement um, from round rubber or any type of rubber or flat rubber or fine cut rubber. And now it becomes more of an exploratory thing in an experience. But you're right. At the end of the day, when they come out at iCast and show all the stuff that's coming out, I laugh at some of these big companies. Who, who was it the other day that just put out? Um, it might have been Berkeley where they said hand tied. I go, yeah. 
Berkeley doesn't hand tie anything. I go, right. is this the new thing? They're taking our jam and they know, they know what all you do and yeah. they see it and they're finding ways to accomplish manufacturing processes to do it. Um, and, and basically they're, they're, they're stealing our, <laughs> everything we do. And, and I, I shouldn't use that word stealing. I just, anything that makes the jig game better, I'm all for. Now that doesn't help you as a businessman, but when you, but you know, you're running a business and when you know that you're going to sell nine silicone jigs to one <laughs> round rubber, well, that is what it is. That's well, the truth. It, I mean, it's a, it's a hard, and, and I went through it probably the first two, three years more so than anything. Um, and you know, the, I was, and I still am. I'm a huge round rubber fan. Table Rock, it's a gin clear, extreme finesse fishery in my opinion. Um, but round rubber, I mean, anyone that says silicone has better action than round rubber or, right. you know, frog's hair, fine round rubber or a mop jig it, it is full of it. But right. the, the, the hard part, with it is the, the with the silicone colors that are now available and if you're hand tying in a certain method that allows you the ability to stack multiple colors of silicone on top and create these these really unique multi-leveled colors I think intrinsically it instills a little bit of confidence in people as well. And, oh, sure. and I'm, I'm just as much of a advocate for confidence. And I, I don't think it was you that I was talking to, but I was talking to someone about this the other day. He called and said, man, I can't believe that you spend the time to airbrush these colors on every single head, you know, to multi, basically to match everything sure. and he said it's the best looking jig i've ever seen and when i hold it in my hand i know i'm gonna catch a fish he goes because those fish haven't seen a head like that and i started laughing and he was asking me he was asking me why i was laughing and i said you know whether or not that catches any more fish probably not i mean i don't think that there's a fish that's so finicky that's nose down on a jig in in Taylor Rock, in 28, in 28 feet of water that says, man, it's a green pumpkin head, but he just lifted that jig up and there's a little bit of orange on the, on the base of that jig and I'm going to hammer it. I don't think that happens, but at the same time, I also get the fact that you hold something in your hand and you go, this is going to work. And, yeah. and I haven't, I haven't seen a bait produced like this. I haven't seen this color before and I know it's going to work because it looks like the forage in my, in my water system so they they fish it more they fish it yeah with confidence they fish it more correctly and ultimately whether you're whether you're doing that with one of my jigs or anything else mm -hmm. intrinsically you're going to get more bites when you have confidence in something it uh it's so true because i mean let's just walk let's just walk down that path a little bit more so now all of a sudden you know i it's funny. I, I say this about the kids when they're going to prom all the time. 
right? And they all get dressed up. And I say, you you know, that kids are good when it comes to, you know, going to prom because they, they play the part. They're dressed up. They feel good about themselves. Their confidence uh, increases. Um, you start paying attention. Now let's move back to fishing. I don't want to talk prom. <laughs> so I was but, wondering where it was going. I was. Well, this breath. is the life of an educator, right? <laughs> so, but you're, if you're fishing and, and, and when you're getting dressed up and you're putting on a skirt, that's what I say for like jig making, you know, you're putting on a skirt, you're getting dressed up, you know, you want to, you want to look the part you want to, that's why I say I paint the heads on, on when I make my skirted jigs. I, yeah. Now, if you are putting plastics on the back of a head, I don't know if I really need to paint them. I don't have to. And right. and for many years, I didn't when we would fish the Great Lakes for smallmouth and throwing grubs. But the point is, if I'm going to take the time and I believe that there's a flow of color in the skirts that I design, which is what I believe, I want the head to be accentuating that in some capacity. Yeah. And, and so you kind of, if you're going to take the time to put everything together, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you get me in a dress shirt nine times out of 10, I'm going to throw a tie on too. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to do the whole thing. And so now you, now you said something that brings up a question. So obviously I'm sure that in time or over the years, you've, you've powder painted jigs, but you've moved towards uh, airbrushing as well. Yep. Talk to me about that a little bit. Are you doing all airbrushing on the heads or are you doing a powder coat base coat? And then airbrushing, or what does your process generally look like, Flint? So I I actually powder coat everything. Um, okay, same. And and all my airbrushing is also powder coat. So I've just over the years I've I've kind of developed a system to where I'm able to spray powder relatively efficiently. I know I know it's a Spraying powder can be an inefficient uh, way of application. When, right. When you when you see some of the automotive paints that are out there and the way that they have them lined up and, and spraying 500 at a time, I, I still do every head individually at the moment. I mean, I have in the last year, I've moved into some electrostatic application. Interesting. I absolutely love electrostatic it's a huge waste of powder um and i haven't developed a recovery system that's been effective <laughs> or efficient your recovery system is it's gone it's gone <laughs> that that is that is a hundred percent correct but you um, know what though flint let me ask you a question though <clears throat> and and without going into all the let's I, so i i would like to talk about electrostatic painting as much as you're willing to go down that road. Cause I just don't know enough about it. Um, I understand what it is. I understand the basics, but the question is when you're doing it in such a smaller and finite uh, amount, meaning, you know, I'm not spray painting a sheet of metal, right? right? I'm spray painting a head of a jig, shorter burst, not as much product. It makes it the, the same reason you may think you're going to blow through a lot of paint, you might, but you're also buying paint in larger volumes then, correct? Correct. Right. Correct. I mean, and anyone that's listening, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to hide any of the, if, you know, Protect does a phenomenal, phenomenal job with their paints. I love Protect. 
Um, I've used Protec forever, and I'll continue to use Protec. The electrostatic side, Prismic Powders, they're an Oregon-based company as well. They have 12,000 colors that are available, and yeah. they're an awesome company. Um, you just have a diversity experience that you're able to access with it. They, right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've said doing doing this for a decade, mixing a lot of ProTech colors and um, trying to create your own and be consistent with it over time with certain recipes and the the electrostatic side of it is i i wouldn't be able to afford to electrostatic do it or cs uh powder coating paint it, it's too expensive um let me ask you a question flint okay let's stick with that for a minute so if i'm just a, you and i had talked about this before there's yes. also a difference between what the capabilities are of the, you know, the hobbyist mm -hmm. and the more production end of things. So would you say that electrostatic painting is benefit, even works on the hobbyist end of things, or I, is it, I, I, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? Well, yes. I, and, and I'll tell you, I don't know if it works on my scale yet. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> duly noted, duly noted. <laughs> because I haven't figured it out. I mean, it's been, it, it's hard. One of the, one of the things that I run into constantly is, is scalability with, with my own company. Obviously I don't want to be tied to a vice for the next 50 years of my life at working seven days a week, trying to keep up stock. Um, so I, I ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find ways to increase productivity, but not jeopardize the quality yeah. aspect. And, and that's, a, that's a hard thing to do. And <clears throat> I was exposed to this electrostatic idea concept. And I know that there's people out there that have it figured out. And I know that they're very tight lipped about it. Right. For me, it's been something that, it's just been a progression. I mean, yeah. It, it, it on the hobbyist side, I would say no. I, I think that for me to run one color, one base color through an electrostatic machine, I have to do a minimum of about three hundred heads. Yeah, and, and that's it, what I'm getting at, right? You know, but it's but it's an it's an incredible finish. It is only single color. Um. Mm -hmm. So to add those, add those, the back straps or the throats or anything else that you're going to accent color, you got to go reheat those heads back up and, and have yeah, that paint you. available to adhere to the next color, mm -hmm. which I do. But so I, I don't know if I'm, you know, there's certain, there's certain products that I have that I actually have two different parts of the head that I have to heat at different times if i'm just using a fluid bed so mm -hmm. the ability to electrostatic that head can coat the entire thing in one process the, the issue with electrostatic is anything that's exposed is going to get coated so you have hook points if you're doing spinner baits you have wires um so you end up trying to figure out how to keep those areas paint free 
And I've been through different processes of trying to build right. racks that are going to prevent powder coat from going in. Yet you want multiple units on the same current so that that electrostatic is going to powder coat multiple items at the same time. So it, it's a it's a giant learning process, and, and by no means do I have it figured out. I, I, I think, do. I, I think, love the end result. I mean, the end result is incredible. It's very consistent. Um, yeah. On the smallest heads with the, a lot of detail, you can pick it all up. It's it's. I haven't ran into something to where I haven't had enough powder, and I don't know if that's that's current driven. With okay. the electrostatic process, if I've just been able to get that right, but I haven't had like an overabundance of powder that's going to make the heads gloop up or not enough powder to where I'm having to go redo it. So <coughs> interesting. Me. So yeah, it, I, I was happy you brought that up because it's like, I, I mean, that's, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a conversation that I've never had. And I, I, in the times when I've gone down the video wormhole of trying to watch videos, just learning about it. I, you know, I'm looking at metal fabricators and all these other things. And, and I, I eventually get to the point, I'm like, yeah, it sounds cool, but I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? Just yeah. for me being a guy that the hobbyist, I, I don't want to miss this question. So Brian's my, my good friend, Brian Cole from Brian's custom tackle, Brian makes up, he, 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 he ties, he ties a lot of nice jigs too. And he asked the question, you know, what's your favorite thread, which is interesting because you and I were talking about that today, so we might as well, well we might I, as well talk about that. So you're tying your jigs. So you're I'm if tying. you're, if, I, I use I use Kevlar, hundred hundred percent Kevlar. I mean, I know that there's a lot of different. When, when I started, I used braided line. I used um, I, I was I was pulling. Sorry, no, you're good. Bones popping up on my phone. Um, I use braided line early on. Kevlar has been something for me that has has just always worked, and I, and I like putting a whole lot of pressure on on my wraps when I'm doing it. it it's funny; everyone kind of makes fun of me. I got a bunch of buddies that I talk to throughout the day, uh, either on the phone or on Facetime when I'm tying, and and I have all my fingers wrapped in duct tape because. <laughs> And a lot of times I'm surprised I don't right now, but I think it's great though. It's Kevlar is a beast. I mean, What's it, the, it is something that I can pull on as hard as I possibly can. Flint, and, let me ask you this. So I one, I've never worked with it. Uh, two, I've heard about it um, plenty. And then, so I guess the third part is asking what is the, uh let's just say diameter what is what would it be comparable extremely, to extremely small and that's why i like it um like we're talking like under 100 yes for sure yeah, under 100 there yeah. there's not a lot of buildup with it um it's it's just a clean 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 thread and it's been okay. well i'll tell you the last time that i bought fly tying I, I left Alaska 15 years ago. So that was really the last time that I, I dove into the the fly tying world. Sure. I, I, I went, when I started tying jigs, 
I don't know if I was tying with 210. It's still, a lot of guys start with 210. I mean, I just I just literally started going lower <laughs> on yeah. my bass stuff. I'll tie flies with smaller stuff, but I just went down to like six on, which is like what 130 denier. Yeah. Uh, 136 maybe to be exact whatever my uni one is i'm using um and and, the, and the, ultimately the the way that i got involved with kevlar was livingrubber.com paul bachman the owner um all i went through and i was tying i was trying you know muddler minnows and big streamers for dollies and and big rainbows up in alaska and I was putting a lot of pressure on the thread when I was tying these flies and never running into issues. Mm-hmm. But when I was trying to wrap that round rubber tight enough to where I could pull it you and were separate it? it and cut it, yeah. I was always having movement. So I would try and wrap tighter and tighter. And I, because I had a fly tying background, I saw the, the comment question pop up earlier about wire tying or wire wrapping opposed to hand tying. And I know that those names are interchangeable. Since I had a background in fly tying, I just never picked up wire and and explored with it. I mean, I know it's a phenomenal option for round rubber because you can get it extremely tight, but I was running into those issues and Paul Bachman, Living Rubber said, hey man, you got to try this Kevlar stuff. And I remember the very first time pulling on it and it just cut me like butter or, or on my finger. So I I've stuck with it ever since. And I know it's, I know it's a little more expensive, but I've never, I, I can't remember the last time I pulled on it during a tie and had it break and have to cut stuff off. I mean, it's just efficient for me this time. I mean, there's guys that are, there's guys out there that don't use that will not use thread. I'll just, I'm just for the sake of it, I'm just going to include Kevlar in that category mm-hmm. of any, yeah. uh, any spooled type of tying material. I, I, that's not true because wire technically is spooled. I can't use that description. But I will say the only time I, for myself, that I start pulling out um, the wire is when I'm going back and redoing old jigs of mine that had the skirts on them from that are 15, right. 20 years old. That right. Some fall fell apart. Some stay together, but now I don't want them to fall apart. I don't want to take the chance, so I go back and I just add wire in, and I only do it because I I thought I go well. I got to stay on top of practicing how I wire wrap. You know, I can't. I just and I don't know why. It's just that's the way I've done it. But if if I'm tying any type of mixture of silicone in with other types of material, then it's always thread tied. Yeah. Well, I actually go ahead. Now I was going to say there's been, there's been people and buddies in the industry that say, Hey, you, you know, you got to explore this stuff. You got to, you got to at least entertain it so fast. And I've watched videos, of people that they'll post it wire wrapping and it's, I, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm I'm very inexperienced in it. Yeah. But well, but I, no, but if you're, if you're using more, my thing, my thing is, I think that wire tying is easy, easier to do for the layman that isn't used to tying, uh, you know, um, tying knots and, yeah. and, and finishing it off. 
or even putting half hitches on something or some of the more technical um, and or a whip finish, you know, you don't have to know any of that, those things to use wire and you could get in the game. You could, you could have a mold and dip, dip some jigs and, and throw some, um, some skirts on there and you don't need to be, uh, there's not much more to it. So it's, it's functional, it's efficient. Um, and I just think the more people are involved in more fly fly type tying materials or including those, they, they come from the other angle where they'd rather tie it in, you know? Right. Well, um, I mean, I know they both have, I, there is some significant pros to, to each and, and there's yeah. cons to each. And I, I've seen, I've seen people produce a whole lot of baits and, and quality baits in a, in a short order with wire. Um, my personal, I do a lot of stacking of, of skirts and, and just meaning not using three tabs and putting them together and tying them on. I, I really try and, I mean, there's certain patterns of rainbow trout patterns that, that I have nine different silicones that I use all within that one it's complete overkill and it takes me way too long to tie, but it's such a good finished product. And I wouldn't be able to achieve that pattern. Right. I was limited to one or two wraps with, uh, with wire. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. Being able to wrap individual, uh, colors in certain places really with, with thread, it's a no brainer for me personally so i'll add to what you just said and so basically probably saying the same thing just slightly different so so for anyone out there if you're if you're new to tying right um and let's say that you're gonna put two and a half skirt tabs which is the industry average right two and a half skirt tabs and whatever people all different amounts Two and a half skirt tabs are going to go into your jig, and you're going to lay it on half and half. It's actually, let's just call it 60 40 because you're going to have a, a fold back. And you're going to lay your material on, then you're going to lay your order of materials on. And then if that's it, then you can wire a tie, and then you, you know, you're done. I mean, it's not, um, there's not m- that much more needed. But when you're pulling out uh, a, 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 a a fifth of a tab or something like that. And you're trying to get it very specifically placed on where you want it. And you want to be more meticulous in terms of where it's placed on the color uh, uh, stacking. That's when you have to tie, because if you try and wrap wire around while doing that, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work as precisely. If you have full tabs, it's very easy to wire tie, right? And it's going to fall. It's going to intersperse amongst the, the the colors, some on top, some on bottom. But when you want it very specific where it's at, you have to hand tie. And to be honest with you, most people starting off shouldn't, shouldn't even have to do that. There, Here's the other thing that's happened. Um, Carl, welcome. The other thing that's happened is, and uh, Flint talked about uh, the living rubber and how it was real basic in terms of colors, right? Well, the other thing is that over the years, the skirting material has been pretty simple. Then they'd get into tiger tracks and blotching and 
all these different types of things. And those were kind of cool. And now, now some of the skirting material is literally, it's almost done. Uh, right. a, a singular, a lot of tabs themselves could be a jig all in themselves. Of just two, two and a half tabs. And, and a lot of people like making jigs like that. I personally, I look at jigs like that. I don't mind them. I look, I go, oh, like nice color combo. I would never make a jig like that myself because I just, you guys got to understand the jig squad thing to me was about flow of color, right? So I don't want somebody to flow my color, right? <laughs> I want, I want to flow my own color. I want right. to put it together the way I want it. But there's a lot of people that like it already made like that. I've seen some purple, like June bug and different colored ones that I'm like, man, I saw one that was like a bullfrog. And I'm like, wow, that skirt is fantastic. I love it. But I, I like making my own. Like I make like making my own and putting my own skirt colors together to make that bullfrog as opposed to singularly having it. And there's nothing wrong with that. People, some guys get their joy out of making that jig and um, that's what it was. For me, it's kind of like I didn't have those cool skirt tabs back in the day. And so, um, George, Val, welcome, buddy. Um, GSP, here's a good question. So George asked um, Flint about GSP. So the only comment I'm going to make, George, and this is limited for me, and Flint's probably going to be able to answer this better, and Brian Schmidt's in chat, he can answer too. But the thing with GSP is there's less stretch, right? And I don't um, – I personally am not used to that. You know, when I had less stress, it was moving up the big fly thread, you know, 400-something yeah. here, um, right. or using 210, and I had less stretch. But GSP, I, if I'm not mistaken, gel spun, uh, poly, whatever the heck it is, um, there's no stretch to it. Is that correct? Do you know, Flint? To <laughs> No, because I mean, Brian will know. Brian Schmidt's in chat. He'll know. And Brian's custom tackle might know too. I have not used it, George, um, because I, I I didn't believe it to be as forgiving, right? And and I thought I needed something a little more forgiving because I'm not that A-level tire, right? And, and there is almost <laughs> there is almost no stretch in Kevlar. And, well, and that, well, that's why I was going to say – if, if I'm saying the right thing about GSP, it's the same thing as Kevlar. There's no stretch. Right. You know? uh, yeah, Brian Schmidt saying no stretch, no stretch in the GSP. So I would imagine it would do similar types of things. Um, and Brian and, and then Brian Cole says, um, yeah, 210 has a little stretch. And he yeah, actually, I remember you saying this, Brian Cole. He actually likes the GSP. Because you could really crank down on it, and so similar to probably what you're describing with the Kevlar. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the only reason I haven't ventured out is I, I've never felt the need to. I mean, I've had so much luck, success um, with Kevlar over the years that it's it's never been something that I've thought, "Gosh, I need to I need to look at a different avenue." I mean, the only downfall to it is. That it just tears my fingers up. <laughs> so yeah. Here's a good question. So Will Will Junkin says, "What if you have a jig that has a rubber band on it, but want it to last longer? Would you would you use recommend or would you recommend wire over thread for a newbie?" Will, I that's exactly when I use wire. I actually will go back in. 
Um, and if you ever need anything, Will, just message me on Instagram uh, and I'll give you my phone number and I'll I'll walk you through it. I literally, that's when I use wire. I have so many jigs and ch more chatterbaits. I have a lot of chatterbaits um, that were made back in the day uh, before all the patent stuff kind of came out with Z-Man. And I, I still have tons of chatterbaits from back in the day. And I basically had one fall apart on me at the pond about two, three years back. And I, I frustrated me so much because I didn't have another chatterbait with me. So I said, I'm going to start wire tying. Well, it was rubber, rubber tied. It was just, a, um, I went back into all my jigs and I still have more to do, but I go back and I literally will tie right in front of it. I'll wrap the wire around. I got 26 gauge wire from the craft store and, um, I wrapped it around a couple of times and I twisted it up and, and, and afterward on some of them, I didn't even take the old rubber skirt, the collar off, uh, since then, what I'll do is I'll take a little razor blade and I'll just push down on it gently and it and it'll break in half and then I I take it off. Um so but anyway, Will, that's how I kind of do it. Uh Brian Schmidt just made another good comment. So GSP is more flat um as a is a tying material as well. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah, the thread stuff is is there's so many different things on on the thread end of stuff. Um, listen, there I is. and 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 to your point when you were just talking about wire over thread and reinforcing banded existing banded jigs. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to tie with thread if I was competing with tabs that were separated. Yes. and you had all those strands, so it would it would be a nightmare. And you get people that will want to do. Uh, I, I've had people that have wanted me to reinforce certain stuff, and and I've tried it, and it's impossible. It's kind of like remodeling, where you're going in to fix something up after it's jazzed up a little bit. It's almost easier to start from start from scratch and new. So, yeah. uh, good discussion on the thread talk. I I have to bring up some jigs because you yes. You have some crazy good jigs. And there's one, the, the thing that I'm probably most excited about is it. I don't even know if it's a jig, so I'll wait on that. But uh, talk well, to I, us. Talk so to us. Go I ahead. You just it, go. I hope I brought it up here because I was late getting home. And uh -huh. so I was I was doing my best to get the tripod set up. and It's all charged. good. You're talking about the Cyclops? Yeah, I was talking about the Cyclops. I, I grabbed some prop heads. I grabbed some other underspins and listen was, if, I know, you, I, I, if you don't show the cyclops that's fine but i'm going to talk about it later anyway i would love i would love the opportunity to talk about the cyclops i know it's a you pick a, what you want to talk about because so guys listen here you guys know i do my little pauses where i have i have the like a jig squad declarative statement to make here so here's the thing i love i love everyone who comes on this show right i love everyone who comes in the chat most everyone there's been a few screwballs but I, you know i i love everyone who is part of the jig squad experience right well here's the thing i, I as designers i i like so many different things and i appreciate everyone and one thing is not better than the other to me but there's some things that flint pierce battle baits does that isn't like a couple of things that are different that i don't see a lot of other guys doing and i know it's not the like uh, th that there's no one in the industry doing it, 
But like as an example, um, you know, one of the things is he's got like a drop shot jig, a drop shot jig. You have them with you? I, I are they in front one. of you? I you one. So there's two things. There's two things for all all the jigs, the colorations and everything are phenomenal. But there's two things that I'm most intrigued by, even though probably all his other stuff is cooler. <laughs> but but for me as a jig maker, these are the two things that I'm I'm intrigued by because they're different to me. One is he's got a drop shot jig, and then he also has this other, like it's like a prop. I'm just gonna call it a jig. It's like a prop. No, it's not like a prop jig. It's this prop, and he calls it the Cyclops. And I just want people to look at this stuff. It's wow. so crazy. So I, I, do you have these in front of you? Do you I, have I, I grabbed I grabbed some of them and I'm sure that we're gonna we're gonna talk. Talk about whatever you want because we're going to get to it. I know, but th those are the things that are exciting me about battle baits. Well, I mean, and, and truly, the progression of a lot of that stuff is is over years and mm -hmm. and years. I mean, and you're a builder. Um, a yeah. lot of a lot of the people in here are builders, so they understand it. And I'm not talking to a a, a naive. I'm sure that there's a lot of people, including myself, that has stuff in the works that <laughs> no one knows about, hasn't seen. I mean, and I have an entire shoebox full of stuff that hasn't worked out that yeah. that I'm still working on. Um, the drop shot jig is kind of interesting because you touched on it in a previous podcast that I listened to on here. Um, we called them shrimp fly rigs and fishing, oh, yeah. fishing snapper, link yes. deep. Um, you know, we, we'd have a big giant 12 ounce jig head and a scampi on the bottom. And we'd have, uh, basically big flies, shrimp flies sure. for, for snapper and fishing out in the Pacific ocean. And it, basically it's a drop shot, right? It's a drop right. shot jig to a certain degree. Right. And it was the drop shot jig. And, and like I said, I, I heard it from you on, on your previous discussion was, you know, talking about trying to locate fish. And this is long before, uh, live target or anything else, but, you know, having one or two drop shot hooks down to a yeah jig down on the bottom as basically as your drop shot weight locating. Okay. It's hitting that top one at six feet off the bottom. We're going to start drop shotting or we're going to hit the jig. We double up doing it a lot of times. I know different States have different regulations and tournament circuits have different regulations. Um, <laughs> but 12 ounce weight will 12 ounce weight on the bottom like for the salt <laughs> for salt water like he water. It, it would be it would be like the weight yeah. would be like a like in the surf or in deep deep yeah. water and yeah. and salt water is what he's talking about yeah. when they would use the big old weights like that yeah and we were fishing i mean a lot of stuff when we were using those rigs we were 120 feet i mean the current out where i was at in the pacific wasn't real extreme but then you get up to alaska with the big giant uh 20 foot 
tidal changes. I mean, you could be in 40 feet of water and using six, seven pounds just to stay on the bottom in 40 feet. You know, it's just insane. uh, The tidal rips there, but I'll go down another rabbit trail if I'm talking about that. So ultimately (laughs) it was the drop shot jig was, was something that got played around with old originally at Shasta Lake and going down with a buddy and we were hitting fish on hitting fish on these jigs, these micro jigs that I built. And we ultimately ran out of trailers and wind was blowing like crazy. So we fashioned these micro jigs with big giant they were carolina rig sinkers underneath it but basically to get these micro jigs down Mm -hmm. and it kind of just started evolving that way to where you know and we're talking vertical fishing i mean right casting them out because they're still a metal head um originally my first design was lead with them and now i've gone to tin bismuth just so i can reduce the the overall weight now it's down to i think a five thirty seconds um being that it's constructed out of out of tin and i went through a whole bunch of different designs with it i had an internal swivel built into the head originally and trying to reduce the the line twist with it but ultimately what we were able to find out with it was the fact that it was actually weighted was preventing the line from spinning so i get that a lot of times it's like well why don't you tie directly to like a spin shot hook or just a drop shot hook and i tried that in the past i've worked with resins in it in the past The, the resin weightless head created all the spin that you a lot more spin yep so as as strange as it is having the weight actually stabilizes the bait so show that again flint so basically so yeah the head is everything in this thing i mean the jig looks great let's be honest but but notice the main feature here folks there's an eye. It's like an eyelet on the top yeah, and there's, bottom. There's, there's actually two eyelets. Yeah. So there's a tie point. Let's see if I can get it to focus. There's a tie point ugh, on the front and a tie point on the back. And yes. I, I had a whole bunch of discussions with people. My original one that I'd prototyped out of resin actually had the slip point on the okay. bottom where you could. It was like could, a groove that the line would fit into. Correct. Um, and I, I ultimately dropped that design because I like throwing a jig underneath it. I like, I like dragging a half ounce jig or a five eight ounce football jig. Main lake points, obviously it's a, it's a tricky rig. And if you're fishing brush piles or something else, it's going to get spindy in a hot minute. But yeah. if you can, if you can fish main lake points, um, or pea gravel with it, or if you're vertically fishing phenomenal way to put fish in the boat and it's just weird i think it's a it's a unique different look that a lot of fish haven't seen 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And I have con- I have comments on this. So, but I have a question first. So my yes. question is fit and function of fishing this drop chat jig. So l- l- everyone who's in on the on the live chat or going to watch this on replay on YouTube, you're visibly going to see this, or you can go to Battle Baits and you could see this what the jig style is like. But if you're going to be listening on podcast, understand again. This has got a line tie, a 90-degree line tie on top, just like a, a jig, yep. and then also one on the bottom. So it's a, basically creating like a line-through type of feature. Is it too tied, too not tied, or is it a, a, a line-through? What is the way that that is tied? I, I tie I tied at the top and I tied at the bottom. Um, okay. So it's a yeah. separate piece of line, basically. 100%. 100%. So there's a terminating point on the jig, and yep. then the next eyelet on the bottom becomes another line tie, tied on. Yes, and, and I'll have to – I know that getting these cameras to to focus and function in, in this setting. And you can – people could go on the website and look too, yeah. and you could see it. Yeah, and, and what I tried to do – I mean, because it is a – it's a very unique concept, I, I try and – at least rig them and have them presented this way yes. in, in the photograph, just so it makes sense to people. Um, but if, if you're on Instagram or on Facebook and you go through my archives of, of previous videos, I have some underwater footage of it and yeah, it, it's, it's a cool little bait. I, I really being here on table rock, I'm the Pacific Northwest and a lot of finesse fishing there uh, on the Columbia River, the Willamette River, but Shasta, I had a ton of success with it. And, you know, I yeah. think that it is one of those things, like we were talking about with confidence earlier, sure. it, fishing it next to the, the original time that we had crafted this bait together when we were fishing it, the skirt was drawing so much more of those vertical bites than the actual trailer was. And that's why we, we had rigged those egg sinkers and we were trying to just get that jig down, but the wind was blowing so much. And I, I, I really just believed at that point in time that it was, I was onto something and that a lot of those fish that, were being targeted sure you know, in 40 feet of water suspending over 120 or 140 feet off these main lake points hadn't hadn't seen a whole lot of baits like that and the way that they were reacting it right. certainly made us believe that there was a need for it so so alf Mr. Palin himself is asking, he, when will Magic Edge Pro Shad and Natural Green be back in stock? <laughs> oh. He's obviously a fan. Well, it, it is. I'm hope I'm hoping to to knock all those out this week. It's you know I, I have a I have a unique problem and it's a it's a phenomenal problem, but <laughs> I, I cycle through. I cycle through trying to get things in stock constantly and I, and I build, you know, 20 to 50 at a time of a certain color. And the problem is like, let's say the, the magic edge color, 
if I have eight or nine people that are signed up on the website with a back in stock notification that is they're gone as soon as you oh my goodness stock them it's it's you know and then as as weird as it is i mean you'll have i have times that there's 12 people signed up and i put something on there and and they don't sell and you're like well did those emails even go out (laughs) you know it's funny i so here's my comment flint so so my comment on the design element of that drop shot jig and the reason i think it's so special is that it's not complicated in theory, right? right? And the interesting thing is you do not see – guys, listen, somebody you, – you could call me out on this. I just don't care. I'm making the point that there are not a lot of people out there, companies, that are making suspended jig-type baits uh, in this fashion to this drop shot jig. Um, on the market. And I'm not saying no one else does it. Um, I'm just saying you don't see it much at all. And the reason that's cool is because now you're talking about this uh, this um, hand-tied, skirted-type jig that's suspendable um, that isn't normally something that you see and or something normally that people use on a drop shot. And frankly, if people are doing different things on drop shots, which is kind of like a, a fad, I, or it's been a fad on and off too, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be with tying materials or whatever it is, um, there are a lot of cool the, cool things that people do with that, but not a lot of people do that either. But you definitely don't see somebody doing that a lot with just jigs of this style. And that's why I think it's really cool. Um, oh, hey, I got to give a little shout out. Hola, amigo. Sanuelos is is uh is a guy that we I've been going back and forth with with some messages on uh, Instagram and I appreciate this gentleman tremendously. I think he's a young guy um, because he's from Puerto Rico and I kind of have a special place in my my heart for Puerto Rico and um and I appreciate the fact that he's here. Whether Sanuelos, whether your English is good or bad, brother, I appreciate <laughs> having you here, man. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so cool. And that's kind of like that's what the that's what this drop shot jig kind of like uh excites me. That's that's kind of it, you know. Well, so. and I and I know like 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 you said, I know that the the concept itself isn't isn't unbelievably new. It was just something that you know ocean fishing and, and being successful or nymphing and having dual yes. rig when you're I, there's there's so many different applications for locating fish at different depths yeah and, and ultimately that's that's what it drove it I'll, I'll go as far as to say even though i catered my statement earlier just to appease any naysayers out there right i don't <laughs> know anyone else that's doing a drop shot jig tied in that capacity i'll be honest with you i actually saw somebody who did a drop shot jig with had that had a 90 degree vertical line tie on it and no other island on it at all. It was just like a 90 degree jig and he called it a drop shot jig. And I like, what? Well, I don't I, get I, it. I've seen them. I've seen them before. Yeah. Um, and I know this is probably going to strike a chord with a lot of people that are, <laughs> Go are ahead, builders, let it ride. Cause I, are, I agree. Are builders in here. Um, but you know, it's a community and it's probably, something that is a frustration for a lot of the other guys that are builders in here as well. 
Sure. I mean, before that drop shot jig hit the market, I think it was probably 15 months, 16 months from the first one that I went and just chopped up a do it mold, trying to figure out a way to make it work to having a mold made. Like I said, I was pouring resin. I was trying swivels, yeah. trying different hooks. Um, I mean, I think originally I had bought 10 different, just from lure parts online and, and Barlow's, just buying 10 different finesse hooks and trying to figure out the best shank size and degree line tie, anything and everything to make this thing work. And yeah, I, I released it. And within about two weeks, there was two other builders that had basically <laughs> had cut their do it molds and they put a little drop eye yeah. in the, in the backside of it. And it was right. like drop shot jigs now available. And you know, that that's a hard thing as a builder to swallow. Yeah. When sure. you put so much time into it and, and the design and as simple as it does look to to get knocked that soon, but it was kind of it was kind of an interesting thing because I I got approached by a couple of guys that had bought those and they said, man, I don't know if do yours work because I bought these other ones and they were all over the place. It was no. constantly it was constantly wrapping on the hook and I had all these issues with them and they were so heavy and you know so I was I was able to. I mean, it did a disservice to, to my product because these guys had, had, had right. rushed it and they thought it was just throwing a throwing a eye in the bottom of a jig head and and, and winging it. But it, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that have that have right. experienced that. Um, right. But with any design, I mean, I I think just advice to to young builders because I've done it. Um, I did it early on. You rush things. You want to get in a hurry. You get excited about stuff. And if you can, if you yeah. can take a breath and and financially afford it, and then you're in a position where you can say, "Hey, let's let's hold on to this for a season. Let's hold on to it throughout the summer. Let's hold on to it through the winter. Whatever. Um, your reputation, your your customer base, everyone is going to appreciate your product so much more." if you can work out those details, um, yes, it it's, but it's a hard thing to do. I mean, there's guys that, you know, you go through that prototyping process, you spend seven, 800 bucks, or even if it's 40, 50 bucks on, on do it molds and you buy eight different do it molds as you're chopping them up with your Dremels and, and right. putting high, high temp silicone in it, trying to maneuver this thing. I mean, take the time because it's worth it. And, and you can, I mean, the do it process you and I had talked about yeah. in our phone call. I mean, the do it process, I'm a huge believer in, in the do it products. Um, the head styles and the designs that they have out nowadays really afford you the ability, if you're patient, to modify and create so many custom things, right. whether it be your own Alabama rigs or your own swing heads or underspins or anything else. I mean, there's, there's an endless, uh, 
possibilities that are out there and they're Agreed. available for 50 bucks, which right. is just insane. I mean, at least it allows you the ability to concept something out and, yeah. and work through that process. So, I mean, I, on the encouragement side to any other builders that are out there, I mean, I know it's hard it, when you're, when you're coming up with something new and you see a niche or you see something that, uh, the industry is lacking. It's, it's hard not to immediately have that knee jerk reaction and, and be patient with it. Um, because it's, it's a hard thing too. I mean, you're too patient. Someone else jumps on it. And right. so, yeah, it is, it is hard in, um, you know, it's funny because the one thing I've kind of learned too, you know, so for me, it's kind of unique because like I'm not, so I, my, my tribe of friends in the jig making game that have companies is growing tremendously, right? Just from jig squat. But the thing is before jig squat, it was like, I had a lot of friends that were just jig makers and they weren't selling and um, things like that. So it, you know, it's kind of been a learning experience for me where, you know, I knew, I knew plenty of people in the industry, but, you know, jig makers and small, small jig making companies, that's what I didn't know as much of. And now that's kind of like the bread and butter of jig squad. So, and I keep hearing that story repeated over and over again. And, um, you know, it's funny because like I, it, it's, it's challenged me Flint, frankly, to even ask some questions. I'm like, Hey, what, what can I make? What am I willing to make? What is an imitation of somebody else's stuff? And, you know, right, wrong or in between and other people could think that right. and, and not agree with me. But for me, um, I'm, I'm like a home crafter. That's how I look at it. And I don't sell jigs and I haven't. And if I ever did, it wouldn't mean selling somebody else's thing. Right. And so right. that was the kind of parameter that I set moralistically for myself on kind of how I did it. And I, you know, listen, if you're out there and you think I'm hitting on you, whatever, that's your own problem. <laughs> I, right. I'm just, I'm just straight up saying, this is me. This is kind of how I think about it. And like everyone makes those decisions and, and um, design is an amazing thing. You know, it's funny. I said to my wife the other day, and I, this isn't even about a jig. I, I made the comment. I said, you know, I said in the last week, um, you know, I made a big push for myself about having communications with some different people about pre-planning for shows. And like, I'm talking like into October, you know what I mean? Like, yeah that's how far ahead that I'm planning and doing things. But what that also, and I guys, this is just a little behind the scenes of jig squad. Like it's crazy because it involves like checking in on the person you're inviting. You know, you do, I do my homework. I didn't, I didn't contact Flint here and not know that he was originally from the Northwest. I already knew that. Why? Cause I did my homework. You know, I do my homework. I find out about a company. I decide whether I think they're slapsticks or not. You know, <laughs> I do I do all these things. And and then in addition to that, there's the communication end, you know, calling people, making sure they're able to get set up and, and able to get on and audio and video. And then there's doing the graphics. And after all these things are said and done, sometimes I just go, I just take a breath and I go, all right, I, I'm done for the day or I don't want to do anymore because I the amount of time I spend in doing design work, making cool stickers and stuff, it's tremendous. And so I understand it now from what the companies and what you guys that do have companies go through and experience because 
it's all consuming and and managing your own social media and all these other marketing and branding things it's a tremendous amount of work and um so i my hat's off to you and 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 the creation end is just extraordinary right like the cyclops I'm so sorry, dude. This you guys listen. Battle Bates, they have the coolest jigs in the entire world. He's got to, you know what, Flint? You got to just start holding some up and showing them because, well, um, you know, it's it, otherwise this, I'm going to start talking to Cyclops. And I'm never going to this get is to it. Backstory one too. Um, <clears throat> Cyclops, is, Cyclops is weird. And it, it's and weird, and I love it, dude. It, it's it's really weird. So. The, the Cyclops, the, the Cyclops originally started as a punch jig probably six or seven years ago, maybe longer. So the, the, the way that the Cyclops started was a, you know, we had, we had chaser rigs that we fished um, in the ocean. Okay, but my brother's uh, a chief in the Coast Guard, and he was stationed in Florida, and he was fishing king mackerel and out of his kayak, and he was all around doing that. And they had big teasers that they would fish in front of mackerel, and I don't know. I'm, I hope I'm not jacking no. this part of it up. No, no, go ahead. They, dude. they would troll at a certain speed, and they would have these these teasers. So. At the time, I was trying to develop a, a punch head okay. that was a skirted punch head, not reinventing the game by any means. But at the, at the time, I was modifying a poison tail, do it mold, and I had taken it to this machinist, and I was trying to get this head completely straight and running rods through it to make it this, this poison tail punch head that could be skirted that I could flip with. Okay. And like I said, not, not the, the newest concept out there. Revenge was doing one at the time. It wasn't skirted, but it was a real lifelike fish punch head. And, and I loved that concept, but I also liked the ability to tie on it. So I was working with my brother who was in Florida on this thing. And we, I'm sending him some stuff out and he's like, man, you've got, what if you put an underspin on this thing? So these Kings could have some flash associated with it. So we started laying wire in these do it molds, cutting it out, doing all this stuff. And I mean, just the most awful looking baits you've ever seen that I was sending out to him and he was catching Kings on them. But it was basically, it was a big one ounce punch head. that was One served. ounce. Okay. And because the way they had to modify the mold to make it flat on the back and then have the nose of the bait go through with the center pin that I could find through on it. They had to build it out and still have a collar. So it was about one ounce and he's trolling with it, with a, with a mackerel behind it. And then there's a wire coming out of the bottom with this underspin on it. And wait till you guys see this thing. It was, it, and, and that's not what I'm showing. Cause that thing was so jacked up, but, <laughs> but ultimately it, it started down the lines 
in my mind of, you know, we can adjust the weight of a bait by adding weight on the line, just like a Carolina rig and not have to change the in profile of, right. of said bait. So he ended up working wires that were hanging off the line and, and ultimately having a spinner coming out of the back of this punch head. And it was like this real rough Cyclops. And it basically just went on the back burner forever. Okay. And I, I don't know, fast forward three, four years. I, I'm, I'm building at the time. I'm building the, my, just my normal underspin. Okay. So I developed and designed this one and I love this underspin because I, I, the way that I built this one, I wanted to be able to have it flat on the bottom so I could kill the bait and just have it ride. And okay. so I worked on this bait for a long time, but the only thing I didn't like about this bait was that it limited, it limited what trailer you could use. Cause obviously when you're pouring, you're either throwing a four odd or a five odd or a six odd. And that was going to determine how big of a swim bait I couldn't throw. This is a three eighths ounce. I couldn't throw a two eight Kitek on the back of this. Right. I get what you're saying. And I couldn't throw a five eight Kitek on the back of this. Um, there wouldn't be enough. And so it, it limits what swim bait you're using. I mean, this is a little four inch swammer by Exxon that's on this one, but Great bait, by the way. Exxon's an awesome <laughs> company. Um, so I get here and we're fishing winter. I moved here December of 20. Well, it's been a year and a half. And here, for anyone wondering, Branson, is Branson, Missouri. Yeah. Right? And we move out here and we're fishing channel swing, cedar trees. And they're in 35, 40 feet of water, treetops and spots, smallies are all suspended on it. Um, and they're feeding on tiny, tiny little bait fish, um, you know, two inch shad. And so trying to get ball heads and swim bait heads down 35, 40 feet and run these cedar tops where we are either having to wait so long and count these baits down to have a small enough profile, I should say, you know, so one odd hook and an eighth ounce or a 32nd or a quarter even. Um, oh God. So I'm getting excited. <laughs> I, I know. I'm sorry. So no, go ahead. I, we, I we, love it. I think the buildup is everything I want it to be. Okay. I'm All so right. excited so, to buy some of these things. So <laughs> we, we, I'm, I'm fishing with my cousins and I'm, man, I'm fortunate. So I have two cousins that live here. They're both guides on table rock, unbelievably knowledgeable. And so I, I kind of presented this idea to them and like, you know, if we were able to bring, if you were able to rig something weedless and fish, you know, a half ounce all the way down to 40, 
and run it in front of a oh my two inch on a on a one aught bait, would you be able to do it? So I started drawing it up and, and ultimately so Hold on. I gotta and, make you big now. I know. So th this can be and this is a little bit bigger. Like I said, I was rushed coming home. This is I think it's a three five swim bait. Um, this yeah, is a combat sure. lures. Um, but ultimately, so here's your underspin. And your underspin, reason for the cyclops. Ugh, sorry. No, How it's good, happen? dude. We see it fine. Okay. Um is obviously it has one eye, um, but it, it goes, you thread it directly on your line and then you put a bobber stop on and then you run it directly to whatever swim bait hook. So this is a one knot and this was one that I had with a little two inch Kitek. And the thing I loved about it so much was the fact that I could run as small a plastic as deep as I yes. possibly wanted. I mean, we had wind come up. We could peg two of these like in front of each other like this and, and run them. And there's something about when you're, when you're prototyping around swim baits and the plastic game, I absolutely love the way certain plastics run unobstructed from weighted jig heads or weighted hooks. So you have, yeah, that's a great comment, dude. It, it, it's so weird and it's so different. I mean, you talk, you hear a lot of people talk about different swim bait heads and, and you have to have this degree bend right. for your jig head to get this tighter wobble. I mean, anyone that follows the hookup tackle, they, they talk about that all the time with everything coming out of JDM. Well, you know, with a 23-degree line tie, you're going to have even a tighter right. shimmy. A, an unobstructed swim bait. How does it keel? How does it track? Does right. it blow out? How all, all those things are, wow, dude. So <clears throat> to be able to, you know, originally I designed it now that I have been sitting here messing with it, I, I originally designed it with the purpose that it was going to slide down and be right on that, that tie point. And so the, Flint, let me ask you a question. So not only will that, the blade will spin, right? It's easy. Right. The, the blade, that's easy to figure out. Will the Cyclops thing, is it just penduluming down and weighted and swinging back and forth a little bit? Or will it actually rotate? No, no, it won't. It won't. It won't because it's it's the, the weight of it will keep it down. You'll get a slight back and forth type of movement, right? Retrieving right. it, I would bet. Yeah, and, and that was a little bit um, of the design with it because I've, I've got it. I've got to get. So I know there's going to be a bunch of people watching this. So the I'll magic my, of. I'll, I'll call myself out so that um, so that no one else calls me out in the comments later. So probably four years ago, uh, three or four years ago, maybe five years ago, mm -hmm. Decoy came out with something very, very similar. Yeah, Matt, Matt and Chat was just saying that similar, right? Yep. 
so so deep and i can't remember if it was called the blade runner or something something to that effect very slim profile um and we were joking my brother and i when we saw it we were like man this is super along the lines of the same concept you were fishing kings and he said well try it and see if there's any validity to it and and i got him and i fished him out in southern oregon and it's cool concept i'm good design i the things that i didn't like about it personally just from a builder perspective there was an internal uh there was like an internal plastic sleeve and i understand why they do it because obviously they won't they don't want your line to to rub on on lead and and they they weren't finishing their lead it was just an unpainted thing and but it was very streamlined so you would reel it and it would do the exact same thing but it would come just straight through the water and yeah i always liked about the way that we were doing it with these kings was having this larger bulge weight and my brother is going to make fun of me in this in these comments based on that what i just said (laughs) but the fact that it created this side to side wobble and and that was a lot of the ball design on the base of this sorry was that you were getting that effect almost like reeling a bobber through the water yes of that real erratic wobble side to side and so when i started designing that it was the first week that i was here in branson we went out and fished and the the decoy bait never really caught traction in the u.s and i thought gosh it's it's so i mean it's it's same concept and it is I knew that I'm like, man, I got to take my time on this thing. I got to do it right. I got to figure out the internals of it. I got to figure out a way because I'm making everything out of lead that I have to make that line through to where there's no way that it's going to make the line. So right. I, I, I worked with sleeves for a while. I worked with um, little plastic inserts. And ultimately, I, I was able to develop this system where I would actually powder coat it and then use these rods to powder coat the inside of the the line through. And it's just been incredibly smooth ever since. But ultimately, I, I wanted to change that, that basis of that design sure. to where it was going to have a little bit of swing side to side as it was tracking. And, and ultimately, the, the way that I found the most success on this, like I said, it was, I was in my mind when I was designing it, I wanted it right here on the bait. Right. But as time went on, I fish it three or four inches in front of a bait. Like, like the saltwater teaser stuff that you're talking about, though. Yes. yes. Well, and like I said, that the fact that a swim bait can swim unobstructed on a on a hook 40 feet down and swim freely is it 
the results were just incredible. I mean, and, and the fact that we could place a, a one-aught or a size one extra wide gap hook with a two-inch little t- Kitek down 40 feet and fish it just so it's effectively do you, on a half-ounce rig. Do you know where I'm going to use those? I kid you not. I one that the, that thing excites me for smallmouth. I'll be honest with you, but I'm more excited about it in using that in the surf for uh, whatever. Being a macro off the beach, snook off the beach. Not as much snook because when I'm fishing snook, they're they're closer on the trout on the trowel. But um, anything surf fishing, I I'm excited to use that throwing like diesel minnows and stuff like that off the beaches. And I, I like the idea of pegging it further up. What's crazy about it is it almost reminds me, well, it doesn't remind me of this, but it makes me think like if I had a Carolina rig and I was just going to retrieve the Carolina rig yeah. and not have it in. But the thing is, I like the, the, the pegging is great, but the cool thing is, is that blade underneath, even though it's a willow on that, it yep. still provides some lift. So yeah. it's almost kind of like you've got this free-floating capability of, of the bait, which is fantastic. And there's so many baits out there that are keeled differently, and you, you'll get different shimmy of how, how it works. Um, and without the jig head, it's just it opens up like a whole nother world of understanding baits and um and plastic swim baits and how those might function. Uh, without the the head forward weight on a traditional jig head, that, I just I just want to experiment with these things. That's what excites me. Well, and it's weird. I mean, when when I released it, I got I had a I had a very mixed reaction and crowd from um, from people, and you know, you get a lot of people that are like, "Well, why not just throw a flashy swimmer with it?" And um, right. That's a, that's a great idea as well. Um, it, the, the, the reason is not to replace an existing underspin. I mean, flashy swimmer, right. incredible. Um, something totally new. I love the concept cause it's different. Well, and, and I have a cult following on these. I mean, it's, but it's a completely different thing. And, and like I said, I being fishing hydrilla, fishing grass, I'll throw one of those all day long. Um, and they allow me to rip it. There was, there was a couple different places on the Columbia that I just absolutely loved killing a swim bait and having it ride and, and lay like this on the bottom with the tail up right and, right, right, and right be able to kill a swim bait and have it present that way still and draw bites with it um but it's a completely different it's a completely different concept altogether and sure you know i i i'm not trying to replace a flashy swimmer or any other <laughs> underspin for that matter i mean but it's know, different it's there's different a, there's a million awesome awesome uh underspins out there and swim bait heads out there and i think they all have a purpose i'm not i'm not knocking on anybody i just think that being able to throw it in front of a citizen or 
citizen, two yeah. A two-inch Kitec down 40 feet without having to change the harness aspect is is unique. And it's a big and, deal, yeah. And I mean, for I, I've had people that have reached out to me and they said, Man, I, I love throwing a swim uh a swim bait on it and we were actually out fishing and, and it got in tonight and we put a Colorado blade on it and we uh we started fishing big worms and we started ripping it with big worms and just fishing as a basically as a Texas <laughs> rig and we're like man we we're hammering it with it opposed to anything we had bullet weight based and so I mean I think that there is a lot of different applications sure um, what about weight options, Flint? What are what what weight options do you, are in that? So coming right cycle? now, right now I have an eighth ounce, okay, uh, a quarter ounce, a three eighths ounce, and a half ounce. Okay, so that's so these are available now. So Will Junkins yep. asking, are these available now? And that's a yes, correct? They are, and <laughs> since being on the podcast, I've had. I've had two orders pop up on my phone, so that's probably why. I Did you really? <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know what people are buying. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if they're jumping on that one or. Dude, take a couple else. out of stock so I can get them. I I will talk I, I about this. Anthony's asking, talking about cadence that works best. So what what have you what have you found? Does it change depending on the weight of the plastic bait that you're throwing on on the on the yeah. back end of this? Yeah. You know, I've thrown it on a whole bunch of different baits. I Table Rock's unique for me. Um, being where I was located in Southern Oregon, with Shasta the exception, we didn't really have we didn't really have shad. Our, our big forage base was was gill stuff. Okay. Um, now being here and seeing just an overabundance of really small shad and, and fish being on really small shad i've i've predominantly thrown it with a two inch kitek and okay. for the most part i'm i'm fishing it i've caught fish in a foot of water with it banging banks and i've caught fish 45 50 feet deep that are channel swings main lake points and the, the the cool part about it is I really haven't found being that it's a line on line, line through bait. You really, right. the only, the only thing that really limits you is working a bait so slow or so fast that it's going to foul the action that that swim bait would naturally have. Um, you're going to learn things about your plastic swim baits that you never knew before of what, of how they keel, how they roll, right. uh, where does the predominant amount of the action change to? So if it's not with a weight forward ball head or uh, swim bait head, uh, what, uh, what does the bait do? How is it weighted? And a lot, a lot of baits, um, you, you're going to learn a lot. I mean, there's, I, the, I think, I think it's such an interesting concept and, yeah. and one that, I'm gonna promote the heck out of you guys. Hey, and for the record, there's no, there's no, I got no deal going on any of this. I'm just telling you, like always, this is what I think is my jam, right? I think this thing is one of the coolest things going, and I just, it's just something new, you know. Like how many? I don't know. 
a well, free-floating and- swim bait on smaller sized plastic swim baits. Come on, man. This is the juice right here. And it it is so it's it's so weird when you're I I mean I remember I I 100% admit when when I was prototyping it I was I was like man I'm pegging that thing all the way down to the base of it so it runs you know I wanted I designed it with a certain amount of drop so that it would go right oh, yeah. hook and it would be like this one attached underspin piece. I and, wanted 12 to 18 inches ahead of that thing. And I, I take someone out fishing and I show them the first time and I, I slide it on, I slide the bobber stop on, I tie a hook on, I give them the rod and I start fishing and he goes, man, this thing's pretty cool. And he's swimming it in the water on the side of the boat. And he'd never slid the bobber stop down to the <laughs> so he just it, right. It's like a it's like a foot in front of this uh swim bait. And I'm like, dude, he was that getting looks so much better than mine, right? And, <laughs> That's so great. But you could tell just having that weight interact with that that tie point on that hook was causing that hook or that swim bait to act different than that swim bait unobstructed. And it was just such a weird realization when I saw it. And, you know, like I said, I, I think we're all fans to a certain degree may not be a durability of Kitek, but their, their, their design, um, Exxon's the same way. There's a million plastic companies that are, come out with some phenomenal swim baits but you can you can kill a uh, an action with a head sure and to watch some of those if they're if they're paired on the right hook to watch some of those swim baits swim freely yeah interesting it is is amazing and to think that that concept is continuing 40 feet deep and uh, those fish are maybe not seeing that that presentation before. It, it's pretty cool. Ah, so great, buddy. So well, listen, so here I I get caught up on these things. So I know I'm I don't want to keep you forever, but I want you to have a chance to show a couple of the other jigs. And I I did flash you guys for everyone in chat if you're watching on replay or if it's on the podcast um, platforms. Uh, the links um, to Battle Baits, it's battlebaits.com, so relatively simple, and Instagram are all there. Um, you could follow along. So it's just, guys, I'm telling you, the, the color combinations and just some of the jigs are extraordinary. You know what we're going to have to do, Flint? I'm going to have to wind up getting you on another time because I, I feel like I feel like there's so much more to talk about. We're going to have to do another round sometime. I know, and and, and that's I feel terrible. I feel like I haven't even talked about jigs and, and, <laughs> but, but that's, I think that that's uh, to a certain degree, my mentality and, and why I have so many different products opposed to just jigs. It's because exactly what we talked about. I mean, yeah. as, as, as concepts and, and thoughts evolve and you see niches and you see different ways of presenting baits, it's, it's easy to expand on conversations and it's ex- easy to expand yeah. on product lines and, well, we can't, 
we can't end on the Cyclops. We've got to at least, I, I want you to highlight one or two of your favorite jigs that you got there. And we at least got to, we at least got to go back to some of those because. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What? I mean, there's just some phenomenal stuff. So, so I'd be, I'd be completely lying if I didn't say that I didn't just throw up that board in preparation for this podcast. Because That's so I'm great. Like, I'm like, man, I just got to have something that looks good in the background while I'm talking here. <laughs> it looks fantastic. You got a, you got a big barracuda and I, I got a blank wall. So do you, do you know the story about this? So no. I literally, there's two, I, I I'm working on the lab down in the basement and it's, it's there. And I, I work down there, but I don't have it all set up where I want it for like the show. And I literally take these two pictures off the wall in our bedroom every time I'm doing the podcast and I take this Barracuda, it's in our family room downstairs on these vault on this vaulted <laughs> ceiling wall. And I take the Barracuda down and I bring it up and hang it up every show. So when the show's over, I take the Barracuda down and put the pictures back up. Yeah, well, <laughs> but and, anyway, and go ahead. As soon as we get off, I have to walk all this stuff back downstairs and put it back in my inventory. You know, so we're, we're very similar tonight, buddy. It's uh so what I actually have up here and what I probably want to show are two All right, let's do it. Uh, well, let's see what I got. I mean, I grabbed the, see the problem is I keep expanding. I, I got I, <laughs> I I have the drop shot jig, I have a finesse jig, I have a football jig, I have a swim jig, I have a brush jig, um I have a, a bladed swim jig variant. I have, buzz baits. I have two different buzz baits. I know I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. Why as a single man company, you would think that one buzz bait would be enough. Let alone, <laughs> you are busy, brother. Let, you are let alone busy. Two. I know in the buzz bait, just, I just actually released the buzz bait this last week. Um, and that's been a concept that's been yeah. a long time coming. I I've had a traditional buzz bait design for a really long time. Okay. It's, I can probably, I can probably pop a couple of them out of the package. Um, but I've People had people love I've all had this, a, buddy. They like seeing all these things. <laughs> I've had a traditional buzz bait, and this was actually my very first mold that I actually had custom, custom built. Okay. Um, so that's been a really, really long time ago. Um, but just a, a regular pretty standard buzz bait design um, nice. with, with a clacker. Um, I like the blade on the back, the willow. Uh, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, uh, that's a whole nother discussion, um, <laughs> you know, because everyone's like, gosh, why another blade. Right. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure there's some cosmetic aspects to it as well, but, really the whole theory behind the rear blade was to create drag so that the buzz bait would never keel one side or the other in the water you. while you're varying speeds is that it almost to a certain degree acts like a windsock and drags the sure. back. So I, I never heard anyone system. describe it that way, but it but design wise, it totally makes sense. Well, I know, but it's funny because I do get that message a lot. And people are like, do you think with all that stuff going on, <laughs> you're going to throw a little three inch 
or number three willow on the back of it and that's gonna one the, be the one that makes it bite so i'm not i'm not selling it based on the fact that that is that's gonna be the one that's gonna make a bass commit to it but the the idea and concept behind it was that it allows that bait um, right stability basically makes sense so i that see we're not even talking about jigs we're talking about all sorts <laughs> of blade on the jig squad man i'm terrible hey buddy listen i i i love it all it all falls in the same realm there's some lead head on that buzz bait or something there, similar there is there is and i know that you know before we started this you and i had talked a lot about um just based on the audience and the group of guys and the jig builders that that follow that it it's a unique conversation and it's a it's a good conversation to have about the process of getting molds made and yeah and getting you know taking those next steps and there's a lot of builders that are not wanting to do that right um, do you try Connor? Yeah, you see that Matt's asking, did you you try any other blades before deciding on that have. willow? I, I've tried, I've tried Colorado. I felt like the the willow was more consistent. The okay. the the Colorado was cool because the Colorado would occasionally slap if it was if it was riding on the back of the shell of, of that Colorado. Occasionally, you would you would have a slap, but I felt more of a consistent keel. Makes with sense. High spinning. Um, I felt, but it was more erratic with the Colorado as well. So interesting. And, and I have had people say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to order three American Chad Buzz baits. Can you switch them over to Colorado on the on the back?" And you know, it was it was the the design aspect was to prevent it from from keeling to the side, but there's there's also a uniqueness to having a colorado that occasionally is right. running running and then slaps over so sure i did yes absolutely interesting um, so this is like i said not not just my own spin on stuff inline buzz bait um this was the the newest sorry Look at the new. head on that. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm new at this. So, and the head design is kind of cool. Um, it was something that I actually have a picture of it over on that wall. Um, it was in the back of a notebook that I had drawn out working graveyard in the middle of the night in the back of my work notebook uh, for a design on a spinnerbait. Very cool. Seven years ago or six years ago. And, um, thank you very much. And then it became, a, became one of those staples. So it was like, well, I need to, I need to roll it into a swim jig. I need to roll it into, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I stayed consistent on that so, head design. Just so that thing. head design is the, is the same as the swim jig heads you have, right? It is. Yeah. So, and it's a phenomenal head. Hold that up again. And I know it's on the buzz bait, but guys, this is on. You have to go look at the website and just look at the the head designs. And then what's um sorry, Flint, what's the underside? Is it the same on the buzz bait? It is is it there you go. 
I wanted to see what's on the underside. So it's with a wire keeper. Yeah, you know, and and that was that has been one thing that sorry. No, you're good. That I've done on everything. Um when I got you and I talked about do it molds and starting out and sure. Um that was the first thing that I did to every single one of my do it molds was a wire keeper on them to a, a wire keeper and I think that that was something that was just ingrained in my head. Like I said, it coming out here, fishing table rock, I'd get in the boat with my cousins and, and I would listen to them. Sure. Uh, we got to put super glue on this. We got to jam it up, <laughs> man. We need a wire keeper on this thing. This is long before I'm building. Right. And so like, I'd go to Bass Pro and I'd look at the package. Oh, this thing's junk. It doesn't have a wire keeper. So it was like right. always this thing in the back of my head that if I ever built something, it needed to have a wire keeper. And so I've never got away from it. And it's been something that's probably not the smartest thing to do is you're trying to ramp up production because there is a, there is a added cost on the front end of production, but more so than anything else is there's a, there's a huge time increase when you're right. pouring them. And yeah. And, and that's the, that's the biggest drawback, I guess. But at the same time, I, I think the benefit far outweighs the, sure. the, the time added. So I, I agree. I mean, I think even like just for on the hobbyist and for myself, my own designs, it, if it comes to modifying molds, right. Mm -hmm. It's one of the easiest modifications to make, right. To add in a wire keeper. And if it's not the, what is it? The, if it's not the 400 size, you yep. could always go up to the 800 size. And uh, then, of course, you can make your own customs, right? Yep. Um, but, I mean, it's one of the easiest things to do. And um, I think it's valuable. Like, why? If I if yeah. I was looking at buzz baits and then you showed me or a jig and I see a wire, you know, I, I want the wire keeper. I just do. Well, you know? and and I know that there is, there's a, it's a split field because I know that there's a lot of people that, that love the screw lock uh, right. opposed to the wire keeper um, and the screw locks phenomenal. I'm, I'm, it is. I'm, I'm not one of those. I, no, I, I mean, and you know, a lot of guys like Z man plastics and it's not ideal to use. You can, you can make guard. it work, but it's not ideal with the, the, the last tech or a, a lot of other brands are coming out with licensing type plastics similar to yep. Z man now too. So yep. it's, it's not ideal. Right. And, um, yeah, I don't and, know what and, else to and say. And I have, I actually have, without letting the cat out of the bag too much, I got, I have some baits right now that are in prototype testing, whatever, um, that are screw locked. So, okay. Uh, it's, I, I think that there's applications for it 100%. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm not one of those guys that's gonna say that, you know, my way's any better than somebody else's. I, sure. I think there's there's so many ways to skin a cat, and um, there's there's some phenomenal concepts behind a lot of different people's theories, and and that's why we have a cool industry. Yeah. Um. So Flint, we're we're about to hit two hours, so we're gonna get Man, out of here sorry. in a sec. But let's answer this question because I know this is something. Um. You guys, if you want to see, uh, Flint's got a cool little video on Instagram 
uh, kind of reviewing the battle box. And then the question Will is asking, well, what is the battle box? And then when will it be available again? <laughs> so, so the battle box is, I have one hanging up behind me and it's empty. I put it up on display just to fill the background during this video. <laughs> um, so the battle box is something that I came up with. This has been, it's four years ago. I, I was working and I got approached by a monthly subscription box and, and I basically said, Hey, I'm working, I'm doing battle baits part-time. I don't have enough opportunity to build, uh, you know, 400 baits for your box. And that same week I got approached by three different subscription companies. And, and ultimately the bottom line that I kept getting hit was, Hey, we'll take your stuff that you have back stock of and you, you don't think you're going to sell. And I, it, it kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I thought, you know what? You can do your own. Well, and put out stuff that people want and, and, yeah. and I, I, I don't know. I, I think that I have a passion for fishermen and if I'm not, if I'm selling something, I want to believe in it. And I don't want to send something out that is because I've made up too many of them and they're not selling. <laughs> right. And right. so I, I bought these boxes like four years ago and I moved two different houses in that time period. So I'm lugging these big giant boxes around a thousand of them that I bought. Sure. And, and it was last Christmas. I'm like, you know what? I need to start these because I'm getting approached by a bunch of people's wives saying, Hey, what do I buy for my husband? And it, it was cool because as a builder, as a designer, I have so many different baits that I want to push out, but they're too time consuming. Sure. And it's like a rainbow trout that I brought up earlier. If I'm having to split silicone tabs into nine different sections to create this rainbow <laughs> right. trout pattern is right. that is that going to be wise for me to bring that pattern to the website to where maybe i'm tying one of those to right. another three of okeechobee craw patterns that so I'm, I'm trying to increase my production but i love those colors and, and a lot of silicone that i've had built or custom surrounding mm -hmm. some of those colors so the battle box kind of a, has allowed me the opportunity to continue to be creative yeah. in the sense to where i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna put out if i'm doing prop heads i want to do prop heads in a golden shiner so i'm gonna load the battle boxes with the golden shiner i'm gonna do them swim jigs with the rainbow trout where i don't have those on my website so the battle box yeah, is yeah. kind of a way for me to expand my creativity side mm -hmm. and put some of those really unique hard colors and cool. Very cool. And I'm hoping to have one in July Then I'm, I've been so darn busy, but <laughs> I, 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 it's a, it's a great problem to have. And I'm, I'm super, super thankful. The, the one thing that I can say is if you're on the website or you go on the website and you saw it say out of stock, just hit the back in stock notification, put your email in because as soon as I put them back, it'll send you an email right away and say, Hey, you know, 15 of these are available and, and they go really quick. 
Well, buddy. Man, I'm sorry. I, I just, no, listen, I, I loved all of it, man. And I, I, I will tell you this, Flynn, I 100% am telling you that we I want to get you back on again. Maybe maybe after we get a little further into the fall when the weather starts changing or as we hit towards winter, I'd love to get you on again and we could talk uh, for hours, man. I, man I, it's I would, so I much love fun. It. I'm, I, I tell you, I'm going to get you some of these. We'll we'll talk after this podcast is done. Okay. But I want to get you. I want to get you some stuff in your hands. Sure, so that buddy. You can sit there and and look at it, and we can talk together. Yeah, absolutely, but I I appreciate you so much. Um, everyone, <clears throat> listen, check out Battle Baits. Uh, whether you know you can, if you're watching on replay, if you're watching on the podcast, check out the Instagram. Uh, Flint posts some. Oh, we didn't even get to talk about pictures. We'll we'll get to that another time. Um, some amazing pictures, some graphics. Um, but definitely check out uh, Battle Baits because there's some really cool stuff and, and a lot of diverse, uh, a diverse um, um, types of jigs that you can get from them too. So, but a phenomenal designer, Flint. It was awesome, buddy. I appreciate having you. Um, you guys, everyone in chat, thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you. Listen, I'm going to throw this out there so you notice tomorrow morning there's going to be a couple of announcements from Jig Squad. So there's going to be another show. I know I go every other week, but we're going to do another show next Thursday. And uh, it's going to be a special show. It's going to be a surprise show. And the surprise is coming out tomorrow morning. So look for that on Instagram. You'll see it posted there. Um, but anyway, I thank you for being here tonight. Check out Battle Baits. Flint, stay stay in StreamYard with me uh, I when I end this. But you guys, I love you all. Peace.